Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, we didn't have our official welcome this morning, so I want to remind you that in your bulletins, there, are, there is a card you can fill out. Members already know what to do with it, but if you're a guest, you may not. And so you can fill out this card if you're interested in getting any more information from us or you want to communicate something to us. Um, that card is in there for that purpose. You can read in your bulletin all about what's going on, and uh, we're just thrilled that you're here. So you can see on the screen, leftovers. We're talking about romance today, and no, I'm not Mr. Romance, and I'm not Rico Suave, as uh, Todd so eloquently put last week. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I am excited. We're looking at how do we give our first fruits as disciples, how do we give our first fruits to the relationship that should be the most important to us besides the one that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And not everybody's there. Some people are looking forward to that someday. Some people have been through that. And uh, it's not uh, working anymore. And so they're looking forward again. We're in a series uh, about how to give our first fruits to the relationships that matter most to us. And in two weeks, Greg is going to teach us a lesson on childing. Now, as we were going through this series, we couldn't find a word that appropriately described what children, the relationship that children have, the verb, what they do with their parents. They obey their parents. Sometimes as their parents age, they even have to take care of them. So we dubbed that childing. So he's going to talk about childing. Next week, Josh is going to talk about singleness, intentional singleness, and how we can give our first fruits in that relationship. And I'll leave you to think about that for a week, how that's going to work, but Josh is going to do a great job uh, next week. And then last week, you remember, Todd talked to us about parenting. So today, we're going to talk about romance. And I want you to understand something that I am not Mr. Romance. I am the most unromantic person that I think that I know. And there's a story that will illustrate this perfectly. And this is a famous story in my family, and it's told every year around this time as we get close to Valentine's Day, at least once, sometimes twice, sometimes five times, even by our grandchildren now. But this happened three years into our marriage. Claire and I were living in Prescott, Arizona, and it was February 14th. It was early in the day. I was remodeling my house, as I always am, and so I was going to the hardware store, and I thought, oh, man, it's Valentine's Day. Being the early shopper that I am, it was 9 o'clock that morning. So I go to the hardware store, rack my brain for the most appropriate moving gift for my wife, and she had been complaining for a week the head kept falling off of her broom. You know how that works? And she needed a new broom, and she didn't have a dustpan. And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get her a broom and a dustpan. Now, I want you to know that I spared no expense. I got the absolute best broom and best dustpan that the hardware store had to offer. And not only that, on the way home, I stopped at the drugstore, and I got her a nice little card and a red bow to go on it. So I walk in the door with this broom and this dustpan about noon on February 14th, and I say, Happy Valentine's Day, dear. Okay, you get the story, right? So now, that has become famous, and this is the most dreaded holiday in the John Dias book of holidays. I just, I, I, I get fear struck every time because I struck out that one time. 
But the truth of the matter is, if we talk about relationships, relationships are hard, aren't they? And you know that. And especially if you kind of add in romance, it gets very, very difficult. And romance is that primary relationship, and I think part of the reason why it's so difficult is because it's not what you think it's going to be. And if you think about romance and what your image is of it, where does that come from? Well, the way that we talk about it, for one thing, we talk about falling in love. And not just falling in love, falling head over heels in love. And being crazy in love. You don't hear people very often talk about, well, I think I'm in love. I may be in love. I'm not sure. I'm a little in love. You know, it just doesn't, we don't talk about it like that. Or your parents. As you watched your parents, if your dad got it right and bought something other than a broom and a dustpan and your, your mom just absolutely loved it, you thought, that's romance. But the times that he blew it, you thought, well, I sure don't want to do that when I grow up and get married. And it's something that we inherit not only from our parents, but from everything that we read and everything that we see. A lot of times romance is portrayed, well, really in a very romantic way, isn't it? And it really has worked its way into our culture, so much so that we kind of have this image of romance. So I thought I'd put a, together a little video and kind of show you how this works. And this is romance. This is Hollywood-style romance. And if you look at these pictures as they go through, you see pictures of couples looking lovingly into each other's eyes and kissing and hugging. And this is true romance. This is the way that it should work, right? And I'm going to pull out all the stops here in a second. And I'm even going to throw in, yes, I'm going to throw in the Titanic scene. I mean, how romantic is that, right? Standing on the bow of the ship looking out for love. And... Um, this is kind of the image, whether we like to admit it or not, this is kind of the image of what we have that romance should look like. But now for just a minute, I want to talk about reality. And you all know this is reality because this has happened in your life, in your marriage, in relationship that you've been involved in. And it's difficult. I'm not saying that it's all bad, but I am saying that at times it is very difficult and yes, I'm going to pull out all the stops on this one, too. Because there are some scenes that if I would have put real-life scenes in there, you'd all be crying right now. So I'm just going to put cartoon scenes in here from the movie Up, Color Purple. And there's some things that um, we hate to admit about romance. When it doesn't go the way that we think that it should. And this is bad, what I'm going to do to you now. So get ready. Yes, I'm even going to throw in Snow White and Bambi and Dumbo. Have I got your attention yet? If not, maybe you're too young for that, so we'll throw in a little Woody from Toy Story, which this song is about, or E.T. saying goodbye. And giving the first fruits to the relationship that's most important to us is difficult. So we want to think that it's going to be great, but it ends up being, at the very least, hard and sometimes bad. 
And our reaction is to be very human. When we are in pain, we think about ourselves. Think about when you broke your leg or your arm or you got in an accident or you got hurt or when you were very sick. What did you think about? Yourself. That's the way that we're wired. As we heal, as we mend, as we get back together, we think about ourselves. Well, should it surprise us that emotionally when we get hurt, emotionally when we're in pain, who do we think about? Ourselves. That's not wrong, it's just true. And so when we get into relationships and relationships hits these parts where it gets kind of hard, it takes extra effort. And we know that we're broken on the inside, but we're not really sure why. And we know that we need to do better, but we're not exactly sure how. So usually when we look out, we only see a couple of options. Either we go into denial, we can get judgmental and hypocritical like the guy sitting on one end of the couch, or we can beat ourselves up and feel guilty and ashamed like the woman sitting on the other end of the couch. No, those seems like the only two options to us, but God has a better way. Husbands, from Ephesians 5, you have instructions that you're to love your wife as you love your own body. The idea being that you would feed and care for it, right? And it says that when we love ourselves, we love our wives. Or when we love our wives, we love ourselves. And it works the same for wives with their husbands. And there's a principle there that we are one. And so what we do to one we receive ourselves as the other. And in the end of this verse in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit lets us know that he's really talking about the body of Christ. And so I think there's a parallel there between relationships, marriage, and the body of Christ, the church, the way that it should work, the way that we should love each other. So if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about how God has put this body together in such a way that greater honor should be given to those parts with less dignity. I think that's an unfortunate translation. What it's really talking about in the context are those ones that are not up in front like I am right now. Those ones that don't get the praise and the accolades after they're done. Those ones that operate behind the scenes that are quiet, that are humbly serving those are the ones that we need to give special honor and special dignity to. And if we do that, then this passage says there will be harmony. And I think the same is true of marriage as it is in the church. Now, if you go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, I think it tells us how to do this. And in Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, there's a list of 15 words there that I know every one of you have heard these at one time or another. If you've ever been to a wedding, it's very common, very popular to use these words in a wedding. But I thought when I started studying this a month ago, I thought there's got to be some secret here. Anytime I see a list of words, I think that there's a secret. And as I studied these words more deeply, I think that there is a secret. There's three parts to that secret. Any relationship has two parts in it, right? It has me and it has you. Both parts have got to be there in order to have a relationship. A relationship that is based on love has got those two parts. 
And if we break these words down, I think there's three groups that we can look at. The first group is the overarching. Love is patient and love is kind. It's saying that this is the way that it works. Love isn't something that you start on the day you get married and you're done after the honeymoon's over. It's something that starts probably long before you get married, but it lasts until death do us part. And so it takes patience to go through a whole lifetime. And if there's one word out of these 15 that describes the whole thing, it's got to be done with kindness. Kindness is a word that you can use on your honeymoon. You better use it on your honeymoon. But it's a word that will serve you well at the bed of a dying mate. At the end of your relationship, all throughout your relationship, kindness always works. It's always appreciated. It's always needed. It's always respected. And so God says, hey, you've got to be patient. And you've got to be kind. And that'll cover a multitude of sins in this process. But now in this me and you, or, or the, the way that we look at this relationship, I think there's these two parts. The text shifts. It says that love is patient, love is kind. Then it goes out and it says, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. So it flips it over to the negative. And I think the reason that these seven words are written in the negative is because we all have a tendency to think like this, to be like this, to do this. And the reason I'm convinced, I may be wrong, correct me after the sermon's over if you want to, but I think it's because there's a perceived hole in our soul. There's a less than vacuum in all of us and these 15 words are the way we try to cover it up, the way we try to get by. I mean, when are you going to envy? You envy when you look at things around you or at somebody next to you and you say, I don't have as much as you do. I'm not as good as you are. And I want the things you have. I want the talents you have. I want the time you have. I want the ability. I want something. And then boasting is my self-defense mechanism of trying to convince myself and you in the process that, hey, what I have is pretty good. It's plenty. And as a matter of fact, it might be better than what you have. And if there is that perceived hole, and I'm trying to cover that up in the wrong way, it's going to cause me to be proud. I've got to be proud because I can't be humble. If I'm humble, then I admit that I'm broken. I admit that there's a mess in here, and I'm working through this. But pride is kind of my protection mechanism. And it keeps me going. And if you kind of challenge my pride, the way I'm going to back you off is I'm going to be rude to you. Because being rude is a way that I can get you to shut up or at least quit digging into my stuff. And then there's three more things. If I get to that point, I kind of am self-seeking. I, I kind of want things that are going to bolster my idea of myself. And it may be at your cost. And, and there again, I can get pretty angry about this if things don't go my way. And I definitely got to keep track of wrongs. I'm sorry about this one, but I've got to do this because I got to make sure I'm one up. See, that's my spiritual sin, is one-upsmanship. I got to be one over you. I got to be one better than you. And it drives my wife crazy, as it should. And over the years, it's been a point of lots of stimulating discussions. Um, but it's not good. And those seven words, I think, describe the inappropriate way that we try to fill this hole in our soul. 
But then, blessed are the last five words. And this is the first phrase in this, in this section. That there's a but in the middle of it. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I think those two, it ties those two together. And we don't want to rejoice with, when something bad happens to somebody or when they do something bad. We shouldn't. We don't. But we rejoice with the truth that they are a child of God, a loved and redeemed and appreciated child of God. And there's four qualities that we really need to, to always put out there. And the first one is to protect. Love always protects. I don't talk about my wife being a hag or a nag or a ball and chain when she's not there. I talk about her being gracious and lovely and, and how much I love her and appreciate her, what we've experienced together. I will protect her all the time. And I trust that she's doing the same thing, that she's out there speaking well of me with our children and with the people that she's with. I trust that she's spending my money wisely the way that I would. I trust that she's spending her time well. I trust her always. And hope drives me to saying that that perseverance, that protection, that trust is going to happen all the time for the rest of our lives until death do us part. And the perseverance part is, yeah, yeah, I've got to keep working on it. So if I'm kind of working on me on these first seven words and I'm kind of working on, well, not really working on you, but working to learn to accept you for who you are with these last five words, I think it helps. I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me understand it. But here's the question. How do you feel when you read these words, these 15 words? Do you feel condemnation? Do you feel like that there's a challenge? And, oh man, I blew it again. I'm not doing as good as I should. I got to work extra hard to get better at doing this. Do you have a tendency to kind of be afraid that you're not blank enough? Not dedicated enough? Not in love enough? Not smart enough? Not kind enough? Not something enough? In other words, do you take all these 15 words personally as you need to get your act together? Or, or could these, and this is the paradigm shift, this is where I hope you might think differently, could they be describing how God loves you? And how his love can flow through you? I mean, go back and look at those words. Think about, is God patient with you? Is God kind with you? Has God demonstrated that he doesn't envy anything that you have? And he's certainly not going to boast about what he has. And so all of those qualities, there's no pride in God. There's no rudeness in God. He's not self-seeking. He doesn't need anything that we have. And so if we look at those 15 words as describing the love of God towards us, I think that was pretty amazing. Now, two news flashes and I'll be done, okay? If you're starting to fall asleep, you can wake up for a second here. So news flash number one, God is love. I mean, that's what the Bible says. First John chapter 4, verses 3 through 11 says, God is love. It says, this is love. Not 
that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Now, let's just kind of sit on that a second. Let that soak in. God is love. He is the essence of love. He is the manifestation of love. God is love. I mean, how else can you say it? God is love. Now, that's an important truth to, to kind of let that soak in. Because if we're wrapped up and caught up and working so hard at loving, at being loving, at figuring out how to love, sometimes we miss this point that you are being loved, okay? So here's newsflash number two. I thought this one was really cool. Hey, love is a fruit. So if you go to Galatians chapter five, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. Patience, kindness. Have we heard that any place before? So patience and kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's the question I want to end up on. How would a true disciple give his or her first fruits to the most important relationship in their life Next to God, of course, or Jesus Christ. But on this earth, when you fall in love or when you decide to love someone and you commit yourself to them in marriage, how do you do that? How do you give your first fruits? My answer today is by trying less hard. And by letting God have more control. Now that's a catch-22. I realize that. It's not easy to let go and let God. It's easy to say. It's not easy to do. But I think in there someplace there's a mysterious power that works within. That encourages us that you can do what you could never do. I mean, sure, you may be able to buy a dustpan and a broom. But, I mean, you can give great gifts. You can say words of affirmation and love. You can do all of this, but the only way you can really love is to let God's love flow through you. So relax. I'm not saying give up and don't do anything. Just relax all that tension that may be blocking some of that. Now, if the love of God is something that you're not quite sure about and you're kind of wondering how all this works, it could be because... It's not flowing through you the way that God wants it to. And that would be through salvation. That would be through giving your life to Jesus Christ, to God. Through baptism, through dedication, through commitment, through that decision to be a Christian. So we're going to sing a song, Michael. Um, and if that's something that you would like to do, there will be some shepherds in the back. And please let us know how we can help you figure out how to take that next step to learn to let God's love flow through you.